what do you what do you think of when you hear the word um, boasting? I usually kind of it's kind of like a, one of those weird words where it's like hard to define. I was thinking about it this week and how do you define that? And I was I usually think about the word like bragging or the the thing I think about a lot is in sports. Like maybe if you have a team that you're really like rooting for, you're like, oh, I'm, I'm kind of like boasting about how good that team is. Or, or maybe if a team is trying to like get amped up for a game, they're like, or like maybe at halftime or like right before the game, they're like amping up about like, you know, we're the strongest, we're the toughest, or like we're, you know, we're better than them. And they're kind of like boasting about their skills or whatever. And like, we're, you know, we're, we're going to do this. We're like better than that other team. And both teams are actually doing that. They're kind of like boasting in what they have. Uh, that is superior to what the other team has, and they're they're looking at that. And like at, at halftime, if it's like we're we're down by, you know, 20 points or 10 points, like what do you do in that moment? It's like you have to somehow get the the confidence or get amped up to say we have what it takes to overcome uh, this this barrier, this uh, deficit that we have. Like, okay, we you know we're down, but we got to boast in something, boast in our ability to overcome this. You know, we're a team that comes back from this kind of stuff. We've come back from this before. We have the best quarterback. You know, we have whatever it is. We need to boast in something. In the, you know, it's kind of too complicated to explain, but have any of you ever seen the movie Space Jam? Like, anybody know, remember that movie? There's like three people. Man, this is like, oh, okay, okay, now there's five. Now I don't feel so weird. I don't know. This is like an awesome movie with Michael Jordan. He's like, Playing basketball with the Looney Tunes, he, he like gets recruited. They like need this help. There's like these monsters they have to play basketball against. But they're like at halftime and they're all trying to. They're like getting dominated by these huge monsters and they're all like they're they're trying to get amped up of like you know we can. Michael Jordan's talking to him like we can do this. Like you guys, we can. You know he's talking giving him this pep talk at halftime like you have it in you. And then Bugs Bunny is like off in the lot, kind of off in the bathroom filling up this water bottle with water. And then he puts a little sticker on it, uh, of, and he labels it Michael's secret stuff. And he comes back in the half in, into the room. He's like, Mike, you're holding out on him. I've got your secret stuff here. And he's like, What? I don't have any secret stuff. And then he's like, he, Bugs Bunny drinks it, and he's like, Whoa! He gets all these muscles, and they're like, Whoa! You know, they pass it around, and all of a sudden they're all like, go out there, and they are all confident. But all it was was really water. But it's like, okay, what are you going to boast in to be like, I can do this. I can, like, uh, make it through life. What's the thing that gives you confidence that, uh, you know, I, I'm going to make it. I'm going to be okay. And we're in our eighth week of a sermon series called Good News with an exclamation point. Uh, and by the way, I said at the beginning, I don't know if any of you keep track besides me, but I said this was going to be eight weeks. Uh, but actually I decided there's three other topics that are really important. So it's going to be 11 weeks. So if you're liking this series, you're like, woo. More good news, but if you're like, oh, but you're going to have to go through three more weeks of it. But um, So good news with an exclamation point. Uh, and this series has been focused on the gospel, uh, the good news about who God is and what he's done and who we are as a result of that. And our world has changed. It just feels like it's all in upheaval. Um, but who God is and who we are because of him hasn't changed. And this is our, our last week of covering uh, the four G's and these are, we have them up here, if you're close enough to see, uh, that, that's good. But if you want a little sheet, um, I didn't grab them, um, they're um, back there on the table, but they're a little, there's a little card you can take home with you if you don't have one yet. But the four G's we've covered them so far is that uh, God is great, so I don't have to be in control. 
God is glorious, so I don't have to fear others. God is good, so I don't have to look elsewhere for satisfaction. And then this week we're covering God is gracious, so I don't have to prove myself. And if we believe the truth about God in the beginning, the fruit in the second part is what we see growing in our lives. If we have the truth at the beginning, kind of at the root of our tree, we'd see the fruit in the second part uh, on our, our tree. And today we're focusing on God is gracious. And so we have this, uh, actually, um, Brian, would you be willing to grab, I think they're in the little song basket, I hope, uh, the, the little fruit, uh, the tree diagram thing. Would you be willing to pass that out? Uh, I hope they're in there. I forgot to check that they're in there. We have this little tree diagram, and I erased it so I don't have it up here, but imagine there's two trees up here. We have this tree diagram with kind of the fruit in our lives, and then we're going to narrow down under the... They are in there, so Brian's bringing them on. So if you've been here the last um, seven weeks, you know what I'm talking about. There's this tree, we have the fruit, and then we get down to the root of, like, what are our beliefs um, about God um, that we need to get down to? Why are we acting the way we're acting? What are, why are we behaving and feeling? What are the attitudes that we have, that we're having? Where do those come from? Um, and so we're going to start on the left side of the tree, um, the unhealthy tree um, with bad fruit. I want to start at uh, number one, the left side, the bad fruit. This is like, what am I doing in my life? What am I seeing happening in my life? The attitudes, the actions, um, the, the, the feelings that I'm seeing. And our big idea for today is that God is gracious, so I don't have to prove myself. And so the opposite of that would be that I'm trying to prove myself. And we try to prove ourselves to God, and we, we try to prove ourselves to ourselves, like, I need to prove to myself that I'm this, or we try to prove ourselves to God that I'm this, or we try to prove ourselves to others. But how does someone act when they're trying to prove themselves? When someone has something to prove, what do they do? What, how can you tell that somebody has something to prove? And so, when someone has something to prove, if, you're, if you wanted to fill in that little, uh, on the left side, up at the top, um, here's things you could fill in. Um, they're very focused on their performance. They're focused on their performance, what they're doing, you know, the things they're doing at their job or how they're performing at work or in their family or, with, or in their friendships. Like, how am I doing? How am I doing? That's what, when we're focused on our performance, we're saying, how am I doing? How did that conversation go? How did that, how am I doing at home? How am I doing at work? How am I doing? Uh, they're, they're working very hard to do everything right. They're working very hard to do everything right. Uh, they're competing with everyone. Everybody's kind of like, how am I doing? And how am I doing in comparison to everyone? They're competing with everyone, and they're comparing themselves to everyone, uh, comparing themselves to everyone around them. Like, how am I doing in comparison to them? Like, everything is kind of a competition. They're comparing themselves to everyone. Uh, and they want to win. It doesn't matter if it's an argument, a conversation, a game. It's like, I just need to win this. It's like, it's not about listening to the other person. It's not about coming up, you know, getting to like a point of agreement, or like finding out how the other person feels or what the perspective is. It's, I just want to win because it's a competition. And they have a hard time focusing on you because they need to show how they've done it better or how their situation is worse than yours or how their situation is better. And they try to impress others. You know, be impressed with me. You know, notice this about me. Not be, please affirm me or appreciate me or, or thank me or show gratitude to me. And because they're trying to prove themselves... Uh, they can't show weakness, imperfection, sin, or neediness. 
They can't show weakness, imperfection, sin, or neediness. Now, those would be like red marks on their test. It's like you're taking a test, and it's like any imperfection or weakness or sin or neediness, those are like red marks. It's like, no, everything, has, the performance has to be good. And all those things would be like, no, here's all the areas where you're performing poorly. And then they can't tolerate imperfection or weakness in themselves or in others. It's, you know, it's an inner thing, but it's also an outer thing, too, because it gets projected outside. Because they're proving themselves, they also want others to prove themselves. And so they treat others according to their performance. It's like, I'm performing, and you need to perform. So they treat others according to their performance. How are you doing? I'm going to treat you according to how you're doing. You know, you, the red marks you get, like, okay, you're kind of getting a C, and so I'm going to treat you at C level. And so then, how does this look in their relationships? Well, they measure their standing with God and others based on how good they've been. They measure their standing with God and others based on how good they've been. Like, okay, how secure is this relationship? Well, it's only as secure as how good I've been. Have I been a good friend? Have I been a good spouse? Have I been a good uh, dad? Have I been a good mom? Have I been a good sibling? Have I been a good son or daughter? That's how secure this relationship is. With God, how secure is my relationship with God? It depends on how good I've been. How has my performance been? That's how secure my relationship is with God. Their relationship with God is works-based. They believe it's their goodness that makes them right with God. And so, can you see any of these tendencies in yourself? Do you hide your imperfections and sin? Do you have a hard time being kind to people who aren't perfect? Do you beat yourself up when you don't do everything right? Do you compare yourself to others and feel better about yourself? And my answer is yes to all those questions I just listed. And you know, I was I listed a whole bunch of things of possibilities we were going through, and that's kind of like the extreme. It's like, well, I'm not all of those things, but do you see any of those tendencies in yourself? I'd be surprised if anybody said no. I don't see any of those tendencies. And so, what does this show that we believe about ourselves? If we're out to prove ourselves, if we have something to prove, what does it show we believe about ourselves? So this would be number two: who I am. What is the show we believe about ourselves? Who I am? What does it mean to prove ourselves? What are, what are we trying to prove? What are we trying to prove? We're trying to prove that we're good enough. We're pr- trying to prove that we are worthy or worthwhile. We're trying to prove that we are deserving of something. Well, deserving of what? Deserving of love. Deserving of forgiveness. Deserving of value and worth. Deserving of someone's attention, delight, and adoration. We're trying to prove that we're good enough uh, so that people will love us and like us and accept us and see us as important so that people won't leave us or abandon us, so that people will pay attention to us and notice us and treat us as special or adore us or delight in us. We try to prove that we're good enough to be loved and we try to prove that we're worthy to be liked by other people or to be loved by them. We're trying to prove that we're good enough. And so what we're saying is, I am good, therefore I am deserving of love. I am a hard worker, therefore I deserve value. I'm worth something. I am nice and fun to be around, therefore you should be my friend. And the formula here is, I deserve love or value or acceptance because of what I do. 
And so here's the, the identity statement, if you kind of want to sum it all up. I am what I do. I am what I do. That's kind of my identity. I am what I do. I am good, therefore I'm deserving of love. And if I'm not good, I just am nothing. I don't deserve anything. I'm worthless. If I'm not a hard worker, I don't deserve value. If I'm not nice and fun to be around, I shouldn't have anybody be my friend. I am what I do. And so this can lead to one of two things. High self-confidence or low self-confidence. Those are kind of two terms we use these days. High self-confidence, somebody who's confident in themselves. I am deserving. Someone who feels like I'm performing well. And the Bible uses the word boasting to talk about this, which we'll come back to. And somebody who's like, man, I'm performing well, I'm deserving, I'm nice, I'm funny, you know, I'm doing well at work, I have a good career, like, people should want to be around me, like, yeah, give me the attention, like, um, but still, this person could live with fear. If people knew this about me, they would never love me. They would, you know, it's kind of like hiding the imperfections or the weaknesses or the sin. It's like, there's a high self-confidence. But if people knew this part about me, they would never love me or accept me because if they knew the real me, they'd see all the good parts about me. But if they knew the real me, they would never be treating me like they are. They wouldn't be adoring me. So there's a high self-confidence. Then there's a low self-confidence. They're not confident in self. There's despair feel like a failure. I don't do anything right. I'm not deserving. And so this person isn't saying, if people knew this about me, they would never love me and be my friend. This person is saying, if only I you know, fill in the, the thing. If only I you know, did this. If only I worked this way. If only I could have this behavior. If only I could be a certain way. If I could only stop doing this. If only I could be consistent in this. If only I could start doing this. Then God would love me. Then God would accept me. Then God would approve of me. Then he would welcome me. Then he'd be okay with me. If only I could do this. If only I could be this way. Then others would love me. Then they would accept me. Then they would like me. And so the one person is saying, I have high self-confidence because people are, they should like me. But if they knew this about me, they wouldn't. The other person is saying, I have no self-confidence. I'm kind of a failure. And if only I could be this way, then people would love me. And if we believe I am what I do, and we try to prove we're deserving, what does that show that we believe about God and what he does? And so going down to number three on the tree diagram, it says that we believe God gives us what we deserve. God gives us what we deserve. God gives us what we deserve. And if you want to break it down more, it's saying God makes the rules, he enforces the rules, he rewards those who follow the rules, and he punishes those who break the rules. So he gives us what we deserve, which means he makes the rules, he enforces the rules, he rewards those who follow the rules, and he punishes those who break the rules. Makes the rules, enforces the rules, rewards those who follow the rules, and punishes those who break the rules. He just gives us what we deserve. And so what does that mean about what we believe who God is? Number four, God is a judge. And now you must be thinking, 
Well, isn't God a judge? <laughs> doesn't the Bible say that God's a judge? Doesn't God say? Doesn't the Bible say God is going to judge people? Doesn't it say that God does make rules and God does enforce rules and God does punish the guilty and God does punish the wicked and God does reward people who follow the rules? And the answer is yes. It is absolutely true that God is a judge and that God will give people what they deserve. The Bible clearly teaches that. And we need to see that that is true in order to be saved. We need to see God as a judge. If we never see God as a judge, we cannot be saved. We cannot truly know what grace is unless we see God as a judge and lawgiver whose laws we have broken and under whose judgment we stand. Because if we don't see him that way, we will never, ever see our need for salvation and for forgiveness. And we will never see our need for grace. And we just think like, oh, God is, oh, he should love me. Of course he should love me. I deserve it. If we never say, I am totally deserving of judgment, we will never understand what grace truly is. If we never can say, God is a judge, we can never understand what grace truly is. Because grace is free and undeserved favor. It's undeserved merit. It's undeserved love. It's getting the opposite of what we deserve. And so until we understand God is a judge and he gives what, he, what we deserve and he makes the rules and forces the rules and rewards those who follow the rules and he punishes those who break the rules. And guess what? We haven't kept the rules and so he's going to punish us. We'll never understand what grace is when we get the opposite of all of those things. Because that's what grace means. If we only see him as a judge, we also will not turn to him as the source of our salvation. We will either try to follow the rules to show ourselves deserving of his love and, our, and salvation, or we'll despair that we can never keep all of them good enough if we only see him as a judge. We'll just try to follow the rules and say, God, I, you're, you're a judge, so I'm going to follow the rules and I'm going to prove that I'm good enough for your love. And, or we're going to despair and say, I can't keep them, I'm never good enough. And... You know, this, uh, this, this, of the four G's, God is gracious, so I don't have to prove myself, is, of the four, I, once a month I take this time, uh, I take a whole afternoon, and I get out of Woodstock to kind of get away from the place where I do ministry, and I pray through the four G's. It's kind of my way to pray and have solitude with God, and it's kind of like a way for me to do like a heart clean out. And there was the longest time I would find it pretty easy to pray through them. And I would get to God is gracious so I don't have to prove myself. And it was the hardest one for me to pray through. And I would get to it and in those beginning months and I was like, you're gracious so I don't have to prove myself. I don't even know what that means. I don't know what it means to be in a relationship where I don't have to prove myself. That's what, How in the world do you even relate to someone where you don't have to prove yourself? Because in every other relationship it just feels like I'm proving myself at work or in school or whatever. It's just, it just feels like I'm, everywhere I've grown up, it's I'm proving myself. What is it? I don't even know how to relate to a God where I don't, where he says, you don't have to prove yourself. It's all based on my grace. And I'm excited for this passage we're going to look at. What we need to do is that we need to turn from this view of God as only a judge. And God says, you know, when you see me as a judge, you see, yeah, I give people what they deserve. If you're going to sit there in your sin and not turn to me, that's, this is what you deserve. And we need to look at the passage that 
Katie read for us earlier, Ephesians 2, 1 through 10. So if you have a Bible, I invite you to turn there. It's an amazing passage about grace. It gives us better insight. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 10. The first three verses say this. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. The Apostle Paul is writing this, and it's like he's, he's telling their story of coming to God. And this is a past condition. You once were this. And it's like he's describing a disease they once had. And he's like, here is your spiritual diagnosis, and you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you once walked. This is what you were. You were dead in your sins and your trespasses. You were just dead. You were dead to God. You were spiritually dead. And how did this happen? It's like, okay, you know, if you were like, you, you had a heart attack. Like, imagine you had a heart attack, you got some, some sort of sickness, some sort of disease, and the doctor's like, you, you're, you have this, you have this disease. And you're like, what? How did I get this? And so he tells them next, how did, how did this come about? Here's the three influences that happened. Um, we can't, like, go into detail in it. But essentially he tells them the world, you're following the course of the world, you're following the prince of the power of the air, so that's the devil. And, and also he says, verse 3, you once lived in the passions of your flesh. So you had the flesh. So you had the world. The world that is opposed to God and his ways was influencing you. And the devil who is also influencing you, opposed to God. And then you had the flesh, the sinful nature inside of you that is opposed to God. You are a sinner by nature. You have the devil, Satan, Drawing you away from God, you have the world with all that sin is created in our world drawing you away from God. So how did you become dead in your sins? You were born that way, you had the world fighting against you, you had the devil fighting against you. That's how you became dead in your sins. And then what's the result? It's like, okay, now what is the issue? And he says at the end of verse 3, you're by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. You're condemned. You're living in your sins. You're condemned under God's judgment. You stand under God, the judge, living in sin, living in rebellion against the king, creator of the universe. And so you are condemned. And this is the description of us without God. This describes the bad tree on the left-hand side. We're a mess. All of our performing amounts to nothing. Even on our best days, we are still dead in our sins and trespasses. And we're children of wrath. We have nothing we can do we're standing under God's just judgment against our sin. But Paul tells them what the solution is in verses 4 to 7. So verse 4. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. He starts with two words, but God. And those should be two of the two best words 
you ever hear. And start looking for those two words as you read your Bible. Just think of how hopeless we would be without those two words. Our condition would be that described in the first three verses. And so look, what was the motivation of why God acted? We were dead, but God. What motivated God? Not anything in us. It's that God took action because of God. God acted on our behalf because of who God is, not because of anything we had done. We were dead. We were sinners. We stood under his just judgment. We were children of wrath. We were sinners by nature and by choice, as our statement of faith says. We were following Satan and the ways of the world. But God, and because of what? Because we were so good? Because we did something so great to impress him? Because we had so much faith? Because we were so lovable? No, it says, but God, being rich in mercy... And because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses and sins, not, he, not when we had done something to impress him, not when we had done something that, oh, oh, oh you kind of caught my eye there. You did something that made me say, oh, I wanted to do something for you. Even when we were dead in our trespasses and sins, had done nothing, made us alive together with Christ. He says that was his motivation. It came from in him, not, ooh, I should say that one because they're pretty good. And Paul, he has to interrupt the flow of thought here with an interjection. He's going along. He's like, you know, he says, "Oh, but God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which He loved us, He's writing, even when we were dead in our trespasses and sins, made us alive together with Christ." And he has to interrupt it. By grace, you've been saved. You know, he has to interrupt it. He can't even keep going. Grace means free and unmerited favor. Grace means you get what you don't deserve. Grace means you get the opposite of what you deserve. And it's one direction. And this is the direction of flow. Let me move this closer. I've got long legs, but... Wow. That's not going to do it. It's... It goes like this. Who God is. What he does for us. So it goes from who God is to what he does for us. That's probably the worst handwriting you've ever seen on a whiteboard. Hopefully your teachers are better than that. You didn't learn anything. It doesn't go like this. What I do. What God does, what he does for us. Does that make sense? The direction of grace is this. It's who God is. God is gracious. And that's what makes and motivates him to do what he does for us. It's not what I do motivates him to do what he does for us. That's grace is directional from who God is is what he does for us. It comes from God to us based on nothing we do. And it's so clear that we did nothing. Even when we were dead, being rich in mercy, because of his great love with which, for which, with which he loved us, he is alive together with Christ and raised us up with him and seated us with him. What's true of Jesus is not true of us. And what was the purpose? Verse 7 says, So that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. It's by grace we are saved so that God may put on display the immeasurable riches 
of his grace. And then Paul expands on it in, in the final verses. Verses 8 through 10 say, For by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not your own doing, it is the gift of God. Not a result of works that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So why is our salvation a display of the immeasurable riches of God's grace? Because it's by grace we've been saved through faith. The source of our salvation isn't us. It isn't our own doing. It's a gift of God. It's not the result of works. So that no one can boast. We, no one can, there's nothing that we can say, I brought this to the table. I brought this and contributed to my salvation. The only thing we contributed to our salvation was the need for it. We, that's the only thing that, that I need salvation. That's the only thing we contributed to it is the need for salvation. There's no element of our salvation for which to answer the question, who gets credit for this is me. All the, the only person who gets credit for it is God. You know, if we were to make a list of like, who gets credit for our salvation? And we had God, us. It would, every single part of it would be God. There would be nothing on the us side of the list. And while good works do not contribute to our salvation, verse 10 tells us that they're a product of it because that's, we're being, we get saved from the penalty of our sin, but then God has also prepared good works for us to do. They're part of our salvation that we're saved from sin, and now God also saved us to do good works. He's doing them in us. So we come back to this idea of boasting. And boasting is what you boast in is also what you trust in, what you put your confidence in. And we go back to the idea of I am what I do. It means I'm trusting in myself for salvation. When we're looking at, uh, in terms of God, like, okay, what makes me confident when I stand before God? Is it what I do? Am I boasting in what I do? Is it self-confidence? Or is it confidence in Christ? Am I boasting in my works? And if we have high self-confidence when we stand before God, today I'm feeling pretty good, or this week I'm feeling pretty good because I've had a good week. I've prayed a lot, read my Bible a lot, I haven't sinned very much, so I'm feeling pretty close. I'm not feeling very dirty when I stand before God. Like, God's pretty connected with me, He's pretty happy with me. Feeling like I'm doing well. Or do I have low self-confidence? Man, I've been doing poorly this week. It's been a bad two weeks. Like, I've sinned a lot. I've been falling into some bad habits. I've read my Bible much. I've been praying much. I didn't evangelize many people. I've, been, I've you know, skipped church twice. And so God's you know, far from me. Like He's not happy with me. I need to work my way back up so He's happy with me again. And despair, that condition is not humility. Don't mistake that for humility. That is just as prideful as a person who has high self-confidence when they stand before God and say, God likes me because of my good works. That's why he accepts me. Both of them are prideful. Because both are taking, are exalting ourselves, taking the place of God, looking to ourselves to gain our confidence. And trying, when one person looks at themselves and they are trying to boast of themselves and say, oh, I boast because I am good. And another person looks at themselves and they're like, oh, there's not much there to boast in. And so they feel despair. Both are trying to trust in themselves instead of God. Just one person looks and they're like, oh, I don't have much there, so they feel despair. Both are trying to trust in themselves. And Christianity promotes a humble confidence because we boast in something outside of ourselves. We boast in Jesus and what he's done. We say, no, I, 
I'm walking around and I'm confident, but it's humble because I'm boasting in what somebody else has done on my behalf. I'm boasting in Christ. We're boasting in the Lord. And so I'm confident before God, but it's not because of me. And so we, I'm not, uh, I'm totally weak and unable, and I'm not boasting in myself. And so we can have confidence and hope and joy. And so we look at the other side of the tree and we turn from, hey, God is my judge and I can't make myself right with him. But we say, okay, I'm weak and needy and sinful. I'm turning to you, God, and I say, okay, God, you are gracious. That's what's true. You are gracious. And when we turn and we have Jesus, what's true is God is gracious. And God is always for us and never against us when we trust in Jesus. God is always for us and never against us when we trust in Jesus, when we're in Christ. There's no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. And God is on our side. That's what's true of him when we are in Christ. There's no unresolved tension. There's no resentment, no bitterness, no hostility ever. We're at peace. And what does God do when we trust in Christ? God loves us, blesses us, delights in us, helps us, fights for us, and he's not against us. And so who are we when we trust in Jesus? Well, I am, we can say, I am not defined by what I do. Because remember, it flows this way. Who God is and what he does for us, it flows from his character to what he does for us. And now, what's now true of me? It's, well, I'm not defined by what I do. I'm defined by what Jesus has done for me and what God has done for me. And so I'm loved by God because he's chosen to love me. Who God is, his grace what he does for me is love me, and now I'm loved by God because of what he do. This is something I need to tell myself often. Is I'm not becoming a version of myself that God will love more. I'm not becoming a version of myself that God will love more. So we think like, okay, pretty bad today, but I'm going to be better tomorrow. Or, you know, I was pretty bad, you know, last couple months, but I'm going to be better and then like God's going to be close to me, he's going to love me or accept me more. But I'm not becoming a version of myself that God will love more. And God doesn't filter how much he loves me through my obedience. Because our actions don't determine God's love for us. Our actions don't determine his acceptance of us. And you can fill in the blank. God loves me more when I blank. And you just need to say, that's not true. God loves me less when I blank. And that's, you have to say, that's not true. I like to think of it this works. Like this. On these two boxes. One side. Let's say this is your week. Let's say this is Monday. You had a pretty good day. That's like this is like your obedience level on Monday. Tuesday, went to bed late. You didn't wake up. You didn't pray, read your Bible. So, yeah. but then you were pretty good throughout the day. You were still patient with people and gentle. And the next day, you got back on track. It was a really good day. You like shared your testimony and shared, talked about the gospel with somebody. So you're like, man, I'm really close to God today. Like that was a good day. Next day, I don't know, you just slept in really late and then you got in a fight with your spouse or something or somebody at work and so you're like, man, that was my obedience that day. And then it's Sunday or something and so you're like, man, I'm just on a high. And let's say that, and so this is like your, this is measuring your obedience, how well you obeyed this week. 
I know there's only five days there, but whatever. Measured five days. So then this, this is measuring God's love for you. Or how secure you are in that relationship. Or your righteousness. You're standing before God. And I like to think of it as, does it look the same as this one? Should I draw the same exact bars? Like, well, yeah, this is God's love. And his and the bar should be like this. No. It, his love and acceptance and my, our standing with him is not based on our obedience. And so it's always completely full. His love and our status as his beloved sons and daughters doesn't go up and down based on how well we obeyed that week. We're still righteous. We're still his beloved sons and daughters. And so it doesn't go up and down based on our obedience because that's not what determines it. Who God is, what he does for us, and our status as his sons and daughters are, are a constant for him. And so they stay the same. Our obedience does not pay for God's love. Your obedience does not pay for forgiveness. Your obedience does not pay for salvation. And we need to stop living like it does. So often we think, well, my obedience this week is paying for God to love me more or to be closer to me. That's just not true. The Gospel tells us that God is for us and He's with us based on what Christ has done. When we accept Jesus, that means now God is for us and He's with us. Our performance doesn't determine the status of our relationship with God. If we're always undeserving of it, then it then we don't go in and out of getting it. Grace means that we deserve none of our relationship with God, but that we get all of it, all of the time. And though I never deserve any of it, I get all of it, and I always will. Grace means undeserved favor, and the more we don't deserve it, the more God has shown to be gracious. And so we can boast in it, we can say, well, look at me. I hit the jackpot. I don't deserve this. Like, look at me. Look at my week. Look what a mess I was this week. But look, it's just full all the time. God just loved me the same all this whole week. And it's like, why are you so confident? You were a mess this week. It's like, yeah, but he didn't change. He just loved me the same the whole time. And he forgave me every time I asked him. And he wanted me, wanted me to be in his family. And he... And he was close to me the whole time. And he was never against me in any of these moments. Even on my worst day, God was not against me for a moment. He was for me the whole time. And we can boast in that and say, I'm just so confident because of what Jesus has done. That he was never against me once. He was never hostile towards me. He had no bitterness or resentment. He didn't wish I wasn't in his family. He never said once, man, I cannot believe I have that person for a daughter. I cannot believe I had that person for a son. I, man, what a poor choice I made. But he had no resentment of it. And we can just remain confident. Like, no, God loves us the same way he loves Jesus. And never went up and down based on how poor we were. And how bad we were as his sons and daughters. Until we think, this is too good to be true. We haven't heard the message of Christianity. Or I haven't made it clear. We haven't understood it. We haven't read the Bible, right? And so we say, that can't be true. And there's a, well, the Apostle Paul got accused all the time of people saying, 
Well, if you tell people that, they're just going to sin. They're just going to sin and do whatever they want. And that's when we know we've heard Christianity until we we start hearing. Well, that means I can just do whatever I want. God loves me that much. Then we're actually starting to hear it. If, if God loves me that much, I could just. That means I can just do whatever I want. Then we know we're starting to understand grace. Grace doesn't lead us to sin whatever we want. It leads us to have a worshipful uh, obedience to, to God's love. I want you to hear this quote. Uh, there's a book here. I'll remind you of it after the service. If you want to grow in grace, this is a book I ordered this week, but uh, I've read it before, and it's a great one for if you're like, man, this is really hitting me and I want to grow in grace, I recommend this book. It's a really good, um, really warm and encouraging uh, yeah, about grace. And so if you want it, uh, you know, like I want to grow in that, I want to read it, just talk to me after service and it's yours. Here's a quote from it. Um, you may wonder what you've done to deserve God's love. How is it that God has shown you such kindness? This is the very stuff of grace. That he amazes you, contradicts every expectation, seeks you out, finds you and lavishes his love upon you. You've done nothing and can do nothing to earn his grace. The secret of his grace to you lies deep in the mystery of his foreknowledge. Simply receive it, celebrate it, delight yourself in it, and live as one whom God is pleased to favor from his own overflowing resources of kindness. This book is called God's Lavish Grace. And I want to think about uh, how this would make us live. If we say... Uh, the fruit at the top is, as a beloved son now, by grace I obey. As a beloved daughter now, I obey. As beloved children of God, we step into our tasks of life. As beloved sons and daughters, we step into our role of life as husbands, wives, employees, bosses, neighbors. Uh, we can, and now we, as a community, as a church, as families, as coworkers, or whatever, we can be open about our sin and weakness and neediness because we have nothing to prove. So we have nothing to hide. We're not comparing ourselves to others. We're not in competition. We're a family of believers where it's safe to be sinners. And how do we treat other people? We don't make people prove themselves for us to love them or enjoy them. Because their standing with us is not based on what they do. As we think about, we've talked each week about sharing the four Gs being a really easy way to share Christ of people. And of all the four G's, this is the one that most easily gets the gospel. Because you can believe God is great, but still be trying to earn your salvation. You can believe God is glorious, but still be trying to earn his love. You can believe God is good, but still be trying to work for his forgiveness. But this is the one that's the easiest to share the gospel with, because if you say, God is gracious, so I don't have to prove myself, now you've said, it's only by his grace that I can come to him. And so that's the easiest one. So if you are able to say to somebody this week, you know, be thinking about, is there anybody in my life that I know is trying to prove themselves? And be watching this week as you're going through your life. Uh, God, show me people in my life that are trying to prove themselves, that I know are in despair, or who I know have, you know, might be just needing to hear this. And let and share your story with them. Like, man, I, I'm afraid that people won't love me if they know the real me. Share your story. I heard, I've found Jesus. 
and grace and tell your story of God's grace. Let's pray. Father, would you let us be these people who drink in your lavatories and let us be people who show it to each other and tell those around us about it. Since then we pray. Amen.